Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, a place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to educate, inspire, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today's guest is my dear friend, Dana. Dana is a wife, a mom to four kids, including three teenagers, uh, lover of all things local, and she runs this beautiful farm-to-table distribution business called Valley to Shore. Um, I can't wait to dive in and hear more about that. So Dana, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. This is a blast. So you and I did an Instagram live. We were just recounting this experience mm-hmm. like two years ago. It's, yeah. It feels like just decades. What was the topic so I can remember? Um, so I think it was right when you were getting Valley to Shore off the ground and you were telling maybe just you commented. Or no, or, I commented on one of your posts about yes about local eating locally or something and I just put in this little couple sentences like yeah I just started this business where I source locally from my local farms and bring it back to my community and then you dm'd me and were like can you tell me more about that and then we had yeah our live and yeah it was really fun and that was my first ever being on somebody else's platform Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I feel like that was like the glory days of Instagram where (laughs) interaction felt so like pure and like truly community. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is lately. Sometimes I feel like, like I'll look at my notifications and I'll get all these like really wild comments Mm. from scary people. And I'm like, this is not the type of social I want to be. Mm. Um, but yeah, we so we did this Instagram live talking about just like the beginnings of this Valley to Shore concept, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And then Farmer Dan from Local Harvest um, is – I want to get him on the show for sure. But mm. he basically has this wonderful – not only like crop production system, but he teaches people how to do like truly organic regenerative farming. Like okay. he has this whole farm course mm. or gardening course, I mm-hmm. should say. Mm-hmm. which is really cool. So yeah, yeah take us to, uh, for those who didn't tune into the live two years ago, which I <laughs> yeah. hold anyone accountable for. Yeah. Um, tell us about that journey of starting Valley to Shore. Um, yeah, I know it, there's so many layers to it. It just goes back and back and back. But I guess um, where it started was through COVID. You know, I was, it was pretty lame. And I was feeling like I, cause I live in the city, uh, but yeah. we had watched the documentary, the true cost. And I was like, that's it. That's, that's what we should do. We should move and get a dog and start a farm. <laughs> uh, but simple. Yeah. Why can't we just do that? Um, and all my kids were on board. They were like, let's, let's go. But we do have responsibilities here. <laughs> we, um, we're on the leadership team of our church as well, which is, uh, quite an honor and a blessing, and uh, we couldn't just run away from them and start a farm because <laughs> there's no there's no farming close by. Anyway, so my husband was like, you know, you, that's not going to happen. So you have to figure out how you're going to be content where we are here in the city. And you know, scrolling Instagram as I do, when um, this guy that I follow, he had a picture in his stories of a bee on his windshield, and he had tagged a local the local harvest farm, tag local harvest. So I. I was like, oh, I like that name. And I went to their Instagram and looked at their beautiful feed and went to the website. And I saw that because of COVID, they had a gardening course that they're offering. Um, Dan and Andrew, there was a fun like 10 minute video of the guys explaining about 
regenerative farming and having a backyard garden. And it just really resonated with me at the time. So I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. I want to meet these people. I want to take this course and we should be growing our own food for where we are. You know, if, we, if I can't move to wherever, um, my husband grew up on a farm, which we can talk about later, maybe. Um, if we can't move to Salmon Arm where he has his family's farm, then let's figure out how we can do what we can do here. And he, my husband had actually started gardening when my kids were babies and I was not interested. I was like, sure, you do your thing. I got babies to feed. Uh, see you later, <laughs> you know. So he grew some chard out back and whatever, but it never really took off. And then, you know, the snow melt, the snow hit our his his tunnel, his hoop tunnel, and then it fell down and he never rebuilt it. So anyway, I joined the local harvest gardening course and um, packed up the whole family and we drove to local harvest, which is about just under an hour and a half away um, from my house. And so I met Andrew. So he, he taught the composting component of the course. Um, he was having a sort of a pop-up at the, at the farm that day. He, at the time he was renting one of the greenhouses to do his composting business. Um, he's got his own place now, but anyway, met Andrew, really liked him, bought a hungry bin. Have you heard of a hungry bin? You know, that, no. that product, it is a, mm-hmm. it looks like a big green garbage can, but it's, it's a, it's a worm farm essentially where you put your kitchen scraps and you have your worms in there and then there's a it's like a tiered thing so you have your, your worms on top and then you have a, um, a compartment down below where the vermicast sort of trickles down to and then underneath is your your bottom tray where the the worm we collects and so it makes it really easy to extract your vermicompost um, and and keep that cycle going so you can feed it feed the worms on the top and the microbes with your kitchen scraps and then they take care of it over time and then their their poop their vermicast falls down and you can harvest that really easily to add to your mm. you know I, I add it to my household plant soil every once in a while um and then the the liquid part you can dilute it and you can water your plants but it's a really nice setup so andrew sells that through his his company um terraflora soil works I bought one of those right then and there (laughs) and signed up for the course, took the course online, just learned so much about gardening and why it was important that we garden, that, you know, everybody should have a backyard garden of some kind or some kind of a few pots in your windowsill at the very least, um, that everybody can do this. And they've really made it, they broke it down nicely to make it approachable. Um, And they built community really well too within the course. They had you know, we had our own forum that we could chat and, you know, send pictures to each other. Like, hey, this is what I've got going on and troubleshoot and problem solve together. You know, none of this was happening in person because of COVID, which previously mm-hmm. to COVID, Dan was running these courses at his farm in person. That's what he prefers. But, you know, he it was either shut it down completely when nobody was hanging out together or pivot and do it online. And I'm so glad that he chose the latter um, because it changed my life, <laughs> you know, mm. and I became an ambassador for the course with a few of the other girls that I met. Um, and it's just such a sweet time to, to learn about these things and to build these friendships with these people. Um, so really, but then to continue to answer your question of why or how this got started, you know, I was, I was trekking out myself, um, every other week or so to get food from the farm. Cause I had been looking at where my produce was from around the world at my local grocery down the road, like five minutes down the road. 
And I'm like, why, why is all this stuff from China and from Mexico and Florida and California and Israel and, and New Zealand? Aren't there farmers just down the road that kind of grow these same things? And yet they're not mm-hmm. represented here at all. And we only in North Van here, we only have two farmers markets um, for a short period of time throughout the year. And it's a lot of like craft craft based. I wouldn't say that it's like farm food heavy. So it's just not very easy to get local food from local farms around my neck of the woods. So I was heading out to go get dance food and um, I thought, well, maybe people would like, you know, maybe they would want a harvest box um, like I get every week. And um, but it kind of started even before any of that. It started with garlic five years ago because um, I noticed that all of the garlic around here is from China. And I'm like, this is crazy. Garlic is like, I didn't know anything about gardening other than garden that garlic seemed like a really easy crop to grow. And yet it's mm. all from China, except for maybe like a month, a year where it'll say Fraser Valley garlic. And then it goes right back to China and watching a really? Netflix documentary about garlic from China. I was like, I can't do that anymore. I can't support that industry. Um, just seeing the how the laborers were used, like they would use prison prisoners in jail <laughs> to to peel, like hand peel the garlic until like their nails mm. were falling off. And then oh hearing gosh. about the the water, the wastewater that they use to um, water the crops. Like, of course, mm. I can't say if that's the same for all of Chinese garlic, but. You just, you don't know. And then the whole mm. food mile issue, like China's really far away. <laughs> um, and so it just didn't make any sense on all of those levels for me to to buy Chinese garlic. So I chatted about it with my sister-in-law. This is five years ago. And so she's like, I think one of my friend's parents has a, has a farm in Kamloops, which is four hours from me. So I reached out to them. And for two years, I, I bought all of their garlic crop for $5 a pound back then. And I sold it for $10 a pound. <laughs> and I was like, mm. this is sweet. You know, everybody's everybody's getting local garlic. I'm making a little bit of money. Everybody's happy. Um, and then that farm went out of business. They sold the garlic farm. And then I had a, a bit of a learning year where I sourced off Craigslist. And um, this farmer, he didn't really know what he was doing. He didn't cure the garlic, which I learned mm. that year was a very important step. So I sold mm. the garlic and then almost everybody came back to me being like, hey, my garlic is moldy. Can I have my money back? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't think this guy cured it. And so anyway, I lost. I lost money there. How do you cure garlic? Yeah, I was going to ask that. What does curing (laughs) garlic mean? Please enlighten us. So when you harvest garlic, it's not just like an apple where you can eat it right off the tree and it's or you can put on your counter and it'll be fine. It needs two weeks, a good two weeks to be, you know, out of the ground um, with lots of air circulation to completely dry out and form that the skin over the cloves and that protects it from moisture and then uh, you know enables it to be stored long term but if you don't do that and you just stick it right from the ground into a bag that moisture is still there and it's mm. going to grow white fuzzy mold in about two days and then it's no good so I, yeah. that was a big learning learning year that year so Growing up in New York, my grandparents used to always have, I know that they, at one point they grew garlic and horseradish and things like this. I never did. So I never, I never grew it, mm. but they always had on the side of their cabinet over their sink, 
in the window, mm-hmm. this this hook that they had screwed in. There's actually a nail in the, in, in the cabinet, and they hung this bag, and it was like a um, like a mesh mesh bag, and it always was like the garlic bag. Like that's where they <laughs> kept the garlic. Yeah. And so my guess is is they would put the garlic in there to cure to let it dry out, get a lot of air circulation in the sunlight mm. in the house, and then then they would just leave it there. Hmm. And that was that way as long as I can remember it. And it's kind of making sense now. Would that, would that sound correct, Dana? Yeah, maybe. Um, at least from what I've seen farmers do. And like I bought Andrew's crop the year that I met him. Um, I think it was like, I don't know. It was a couple hundred pounds of garlic that I bought from him. Hmm. But anyway, he's, he sent me pictures of like it all laid out pretty flat. Like there's nothing, hmm. there's no, not a lot of um, clumping of garlic. Overlap. <laughs> yeah, overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had fans going in his greenhouse. Um Mm. So yeah, as long as there's air circulation and time to dry out the garlic completely, yeah, then having it in a bag there, maybe by the window, maybe the window is open and there's a mm. mesh bag, so there's definitely air circulating. Yeah, as long as it wasn't growing fuzzies, then I guess you're good to go. I love it. Um, yeah. What? What to? We, okay, if I take us another direction. Sure. Thinking so. In case y'all didn't know at this point, Dana is from Canada in Vancouver, right. if I'm correct. Yes, that's correct. Right. Yeah. And I've been to Vancouver. It was a long time ago. I used to have mm-hmm. an orange Vancouver hat. It was like my hat for like, you know, six years of my life. Years ago. <laughs> is that where that blanket's from? That's upstairs? Our Canadian blanket? No, that's from uh, somewhere else. Um, somewhere else. Okay. In Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. And I want to jump into... So we're from the United States, and, and mm-hmm. a lot of the folks listen to the show are from the United States. But actually, based on the data that I can pull, uh, we have a significant portion of the folks listening to this that are from Canada. Yeah, and would love to dive into a little bit of what the real food landscape is like in Canada, because I know there's different regulations, different restrictions, different things going on mm-hmm. that you encounter that maybe you know we all aren't experiencing, but definitely some people that are listening to this are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are some of the challenges to kind of being on the real food journey that you experience in Canada? Yeah. Well, you know, raw milk is one of those obvious ones here. It's like that's that's the number one um, killer of all Canadians. So you'll definitely <laughs> die if you <laughs> drink raw milk um, or you'll get a $10,000 fine if you are caught, you know, hustling raw milk somewhere. Um, so it's a pretty significant, it's a pretty big deal here in the real food movement. It's like, it's like the white whale that, you know, everybody wants, but nobody can get unless you have your own cow. Um, or it seems like sometimes you can have a herd share where people pay into part of the, the whole herd, you know, you pay, I've heard all kinds of amounts. Um, but I was in one for a time and I paid 80 87 dollars a month i think um for my share and so that would help cover the cost of the feed and the uh, veterinary if the vet needed to be called or whatever and the the equipment and all of the things um you know you pay into your you own part of that share of the Mm -hmm. cow and and therefore you can technically you own it so then you can you can drink the milk and it's not going to kill you and you're not going to get slapped with a big fine but that is a huge huge deal here is it's not it's not easy to get 
And the health authorities seemed to be very quick to clamp down. And even though I was in one, it, it didn't last very long. And we were all amalgam- amalgamated to another, um, which I didn't, I didn't stick with it. Um, so now I'm trying to get into a different one because that particular her chair has a hundred person wait list. So the demand is massive. Um, but it just seems like nobody in politics is really interested to talk about it and change anything. There's bigger fish to fry. Um, so yeah, raw milk is, is definitely an issue, but I, but I could go across the border to Bellingham and buy some from a local farm, or I think even Costco's down there. Some of them sell raw milk, but there, no way. there is raw milk cheese in my Costco, which I can get. So I just don't, I just don't quite understand the whole raw milk thing. I wish I could talk to somebody in some kind of government position that would explain to me why. Uh, I don't think mm. I'll get a straight answer, but that's just where we're at right now. Just raw milk is basically illegal across the country. Um, so that's a huge deal. And um, in general, I would say, in, especially in the big cities, you know, that's my, the most experience I have. Um, I was born in, El- in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, but now I've been in Vancouver for most of my life, but it's, it's imported. We, we are part of the globalized food system. Um, farmers are working their buns off to, to farm and grow a good product, but then getting it to market is a whole nother issue. And, you know, I, I know one farmer out in the caribou, which is eight hours away. And, and she comes down here every week to, to different farmers markets in Squamish, um, in East Van, in, into Vancouver, just to try and get her product to the people in the cities. So she works really hard and I'm like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. Honestly, like mm-hmm. I do my business once a week and it kind of exhausts me for the rest of the week. And mm-hmm. I need the whole rest of the week right. to recover. And she's doing this every week, farming and marketing and driving, you know, sleeping at friends places just to be at the market. And, um, but she's noticed that this year particularly, and I can, I can, you know, relate that business has been down. We're trying to figure out why, why is, you know, there's supply there, but there doesn't seem to be the same buy-in as, especially when I started Valley to Shore, it was easy. You know, I started with 10 harvest boxes in the back of my Prius in the beginning of November and then by mid-January, when the season was over, I had 85. And I'm like, this business mm. thing is a piece of cake. Figured by May, when we opened up again, it would be like just a, the floodgates would open and it would continue as before. But it didn't. And it was about 50%. I experienced about 50% from 2021 riding through 2022. And I'd say this year has been about 30% less than last year. Wow. Mm-hmm. As far as harvest and- boxes. It- yeah. Okay. And just from you and inca- like recounting your experience, mm-hmm. like you said, it you went to the grocery store and none of your local farms are represented. Mm-mm. And I have a dumb question probably, but like what is the farming population in Canada? Because I know Canada has a lot of space, but your climate is probably more challenging than parts mm-hmm. of the US. Yeah. So and and the Canadian farmers that are producing, where is that going? Are we just importing that into the U.S. and it's just we're all kind of skipping over global yeah. processes? Or like, where is this stuff going? You know? Yeah, I was trying to trying to sneak in some research um, about that, about like why why do we do the things that we do? 
And I've heard yeah. like we we have a pretty good apple population here in the in the um, Okanagan. We have a lot of fruits that are that are grown in the Okanagan. It's quite dry and hot in that in that region. That's about four hours for me. And uh, but a lot of those apples don't make it to the Canadian market. They go back. They go to America. Um, so I don't really, I haven't really understood the whole globalized food system and why we do what we do, but yeah, we don't see a lot of our local produce represented. And like the farm that I work with at Local Harvest, they are the biggest market garden in Canada at 35 acres. Um, so there's nobody else quite like Local Harvest in Canada. Um, they're also, and they don't, use chemicals on their crops. So that's a, a really big, that's a really big deal. The more that I, you know, as I took the gardening course with Dan and Andrew, like learning about the effects of pesticides and herbicides and all the sprays is it's, it sometimes if you think too hard about it, it'll just make you, it'll just bring you to your knees, what yeah. it's doing to the soil and how it affects everything. Um, and then, but then we've just created these drug addicted soils that just keep needing a bigger and bigger hit to be able to mm. produce. And yet, um, it, yeah, the, the regenerative movement, it is growing now. Um, and I hope that it'll be in time <laughs> to, you know, so we don't starve the way that we're farming, I think as a, as a nation and as a, um, a continent, I guess, um, I just don't think it's, it can't go on much longer hmm. but uh and then you know farming in general here we've got our quota systems for for milk and eggs and chicken um so only a certain amount of people can do can farm those things at scale and like my hmm. husband's dad and grandfather they were industrial chicken farmers like my my father-in-law was a industrial chicken farmer for 30 years um and then his dad before him they came from holland just after the war and landed in on the island and then moved to Salmon Arm. It's called Salmon Arm. I don't know why. Salmons don't have arms. But <laughs> it's a funny name. Um, but Jeb grew up in Salmon Arm from when he was two. So that was 42 years ago. And um, yeah, they would get 40. They bought the quota way back in the day. And um, I guess 42 years ago. And uh they would get 40,000 chickens every eight weeks and then raise them for six weeks until they were going to be sexually mature. And then um, the guys would come to the farm at nighttime, throw everybody in the truck off to the butcher shop. And then they'd have two weeks to clean the coops in the barns and do it all over again for 30 years. Mm -hmm. His dad did that <laughs> and then oh sold the gosh. quota for a lot of money because um, at that time, mm -hmm. you know, now he's been retired for maybe 10 years, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's big business. Those, those quotas, if you don't, if you have one of those quotas and you, you can make money because you're able to grow at scale, but otherwise you have to have just under, I can't remember how much, how many chickens, for example, that you can have. I think it's either two ninety nine or three ninety nine to until you're over the, you know, then you're on the commercial side of mm -hmm. the amount of chickens that you have. Um, so like the so you would get in trouble yeah if you had you couldn't too many chickens yeah yeah you'd have to the government would come in and say whoa, whoa 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 you got too many chickens and only so many people are allowed to do that yeah and and so then every single species probably has a different threshold maybe it doesn't but 
So like mm. if I had cattle, right? I need do I need a quota for cattle commercially? No. Okay. But maybe you do. I know. I, I don't think you do because you just said, "Oh no, it's wheat. It's wheat and milk and chicken are the quotas." I think there's only three. Those are the quotas. Um, yeah, Canada is a big producer of wheat. Mm. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge out okay. in the prairies. So Alberta, Saskatchewan, especially. Um, you know, they they grow a lot of wheat out there. Mm-hmm. Um, those are their their big crops. So it gets really hot. It's flat. It's really hot in the mm-hmm. summer. Um, so they can grow those things here on the West coast. You know, it's, it's humid. We don't have the space and, um, yeah, it's just not the same climate that you need to grow wheat. So there's some government regulated crops like chicken, wheat, and dairy. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like raw dairy is highly regulated from a. No, it's not regulated. It's banned. It's just banned. banned. So raw milk is just banned, straight up banned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not even like, I want to buy this for my pets scenario. No. Mm -mm. Okay. All right, that's, yeah. that's 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 info. So so these, but the herd share method in some like territories is allowed. Well, it was working for us. Or, it was working for us for a time okay. um, until the farm that I was working with switched switched course, and and then we were shuffled mm-hmm. over to this other farm. Um, but this farm now, like they've been at it for a long time, and like they've been at it since it was not. It's definitely not okay because I, I have a friend who has been part of this herd share now. She's been with this farmer for like 15 plus years. But she would tell me mm. stories of like, yeah, we would have to leave our phones at home. We'd have like a meeting place. And sometimes we'd still get busted and they would take our milk. Oh my God. Like it was like hardcore um, drug like, deal. Drug deal. Like CSA kind of thing. <laughs> where um, So yeah, it's pretty nuts. Okay. I want to know on a personal level, because the whole landscape of Canada is interesting to me, but on a personal level, mm-hmm. when you're talking to folks in your community or your friends and your family or maybe people in your church, is there an awareness of the importance of a local healthy food economy and food network mm-hmm. or what's the general vibe of people in your community do you feel Mm -hmm. like you're on an island or do you feel like other people are getting it i'm really interested in that i think i think people are getting it i think covid did help um in that way especially in 21 there was a huge push nobody was traveling at that time and there was a big push for supporting your local businesses supporting your local farms eating locally like when i started it was like the magic combination of things to come together for this to take off um because I think if I had started now, I'd be too discouraged and I wouldn't get very far. But now that I'm in it and like I do have a, a solid, um, reliable base of customers that are are committed, um, you know, that keeps me going. They keep me going. Um, and then I and things like this will pop up where I, I've, I feel discouraged. And then I get an email from Liz saying, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about it. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing this because it's so important but yeah people just think about the dollar and I know the dollar makes a difference especially these days how much things cost matters Mm. um also thanks to I don't know if it's COVID or just inflation and the way the world is right now um like my cost has not changed when I started Harvest Box was 65 the next year okay I brought it up to 75 because gas was going bonkers but I haven't changed my prices since then um, whereas grocery store produce has crept up. So we're, 
we're on par or I think mm-hmm. and I'm way better. I'm way better than the grocery store because I'm I'm right down the road from you. You know, you're you're eating within 100 kilometers for sure. Mm-hmm. It's 77 kilometers from my door to the farm. So that's it. Um, and then plus change to wherever my customers pick up and go to their home when they when they get from me. Um, you know, you're eating within the seasons. This farm doesn't use sprays. You're, this stuff was grown in living soil. So the, the flavor is there. You know, I've had lots of people say my kids or my husband or I didn't even enjoy vegetables until I started eating this mm. produce. And then this is I learned what celery is supposed to taste like. This is what carrots are supposed to taste like. This is amazing. But we just don't know because we're used to just eating this industrial, these industrial counterparts that don't actually taste like a whole lot or they kind of taste metallic. I find that celery kind of has a funny taste anyway, but the local harvest mm-hmm. celery is amazing. Um, chomping on some this, as I'm waiting for customers this past Tuesday. I'm like, well, I got nothing else to eat. I guess I'll eat my celery from my harvest box. Hey, it's not a bad snack. So, so we talked about some of the challenges that we face you know, in Canada mm-hmm. to be kind of in the real food. Are there any advantages? Are there any things within Canada's, you know, policies or, or regulations that make the real food game potentially easier? I don't think so. <laughs> I, okay. think, I think it's, right. it's a, it's I like I was at a, a hearing last year because there's a farm down the road now that's called Heppel's. They grow potatoes primarily. They also grow squash um, but they, this farm has been around, um, at least since the sixties and they lease, the family leases the, the land from the government. And now the government's kind of like, well, we kind of like this land back, um, cause we need to build warehouses and things like that. So I don't feel like our government, um, really values our farmers and the amazing mm-hmm. agricultural land that we have right now. Like they also, destroyed prime farmland out in Delta and made this huge shopping mall. Like we never get that mm. back when you pave it over yeah. the, the song, you know, pay paradise and put up a parking lot. It's true. Mm-hmm. And it happens and it's happening. And like going to that hearing and, and hearing all the people that came forward to say, we need to save this farm. We need to save this land. Cause once it's gone, it's gone. And to put up a warehouse, like it's just, that's not apples to apples comparison and value for this land. Mm. So um, it, it was really encouraging, though, to see how many people – like I had to stand for three hours because I got mm. there right at start time and all the seats were gone. So there is a – the community is strong, but on the outside, those who don't know, like people more in the city, they just don't know. And I was mm. one of those people for a really long time. Like I grew up eating conventionally, um, single-parent households. You know, mom was mm. working, and so we just ate whatever – was on sale. You know, we cut the coupons and whatever. And you have to do that sometimes. And I get it. But as much as you can, um, and I, and just the systems that are in place, I don't feel like our farmers are well supported by the systems. Um, you know, the glo- the globalized food market is preferred to our local farmers and where they mm. have to do all of the things and be all of the people. Um, you know, the, the, the global food market just to just gets a streamlined right into the grocery store. It just seems so easy for them, but for our, our local people who are on the ground doing it, they don't. I don't feel like they're well supported by by our governments um, as much as they should be. Anyway, hmm. yeah. So, how do you feel like your 
healthcare system plays into the general ownership and responsibility and stewardship of health. Do you think those mm-hmm. are correlated or no? Yeah. Well, maybe that's where I put on my tinfoil hat a little bit <laughs> um, because I just I, – I feel like there's so much emphasis on pharmaceuticals and, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a problem – you just you go to your doctor and they'll give you some pills instead of really digging into well what are you eating and and even when i was a teenager i really struggled with acne and my doctor prescribed birth control i wasn't sexually active um but and looking back i'm like that is insane why would why would yeah. you prescribe a 14 year old girl with birth control for her skin mm-hmm. like it just wow. it makes me it makes me sad and makes me angry and even watching YouTube videos with the kids all of the ads are all pharmaceuticals and yeah. we've got something going on here I haven't really looked deep into it um, but there's there's something going on some kind of crackdown on natural health supplements and the whole um, homeopathy sector that's having a big crackdown right now and the government doesn't seem yeah. to be liking them. Um, I was going to grab a package of it, but I just bought some freeze-dried like liver, kidney supplements mm. from a, a company that they raise bison for that purpose uh, out in Alberta. Uh, and they're saying that they're not going to be able to offer their supplements to the Canadian market where they live and farm um, because of the government um, fees that they're putting on them as a business. What? So that's something to look into. Like tag that to um to check more into because uh, there's there's something going down here in Canada where they're they're making it really difficult for people in the natural health sector to be in business and to continue to um, offer this as an alternative to your conventional healthcare, which is in shambles right now after COVID. Um, our healthcare is yeah. not in a good place. Um, so I just yeah. I did have to go to the hospital last February. I put out my back and it was horrible, but um, that was the first thing they, they gave me was all these painkillers. Um, and yeah, it, you're just, if you have to go to the hospital, it, I've just heard so many stories that you, you might not get the care you need. And it's been in the news too, where people are dying, waiting for care, like literally in the hospital hallway. Um, even the one down the road from my house, there was a, a big story what? about it because this lady didn't get seen. There's just not enough staff. The whole place is a complete mess up here for mm. our healthcare, especially after COVID with um, doctors and nurses not choosing to vaccinate and um, and then they lost their job and they still have not been hired mm. back. So those, those thousands of people are not supporting the people that, that need their help. That's really hard. Mm. I think f- for me too, like I think you guys have uh, social health care, public health care. Yeah. And so it comes down to like what does that do to your psyche? Like what mm-hmm. does that do knowing that if something happens, you have someone to go to but it doesn't necessarily come out of your pocket but also that all of your treatment is dictated by someone else because mm-hmm. I was talking to another Canadian friend, Alyssa from Better Basics, mm-hmm. and she's like – anything holistic or functional mm-hmm. doesn't get covered. No. So yeah, it's free healthcare mm-hmm. if I want to go this one route. Yeah. Um, but if I want to pursue healing from a holistic perspective, 
that's not covered. Mm -hmm. So it's this really tricky thing of like, yeah, free healthcare for all sounds really great, but what if we have different health philosophies? Yeah. Yeah. What if we want to take ownership in our health in different ways? What if I don't, what if I want to lean on modern medicine in emergency situations, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to use it to cure chronic illness? You know, it makes it really hairy. So Sometimes I think it's healthy to, regardless of the health system that you're operating in, Mm -hmm. really just remind yourself, like, I am the steward of my health and my family can participate in our health and Mm well-being. And it is our job. And it's such a fun, fulfilling job to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I asked the question is because, yeah, I have heard those horror stories as well, but it's also, it comes down to a mindset almost of Mm -hmm. like, what are you prioritizing in your family and and you should be empowered by the the idea that this is this is in your wheelhouse for sure yeah it's um so yeah it's kind of scary when i hear my kids talk about like talk to their friends or the the topic of food will come up in the classroom and kids have never been to a farm like they just think mm-hmm. that food comes from the store and even my teenage <laughs> daughter's friend 14 years old asked her one day they were they were having the like I never buy whipped cream from the can anymore, but she uh, she had her whipped cream from the can at her friend's house, and her friend looks at the can and goes, "I wonder where real whipped cream comes from." At fourteen years old, and I was like, "What? Oh my gosh!" And like, well, what kind of education are we getting? I don't even know what we're doing to our kids anymore. And like, the question was proposed to my son's grade five class. You know, how many of you have been from to a farm and eaten? a carrot right from the farm. And my son was the only one to put up his hand. He was so proud. He told me, but I was like, that's kind of scary, right? Like that you're the only one that has ever been to a farm and eaten Mm -hmm. food from the farm. You just think that it comes in a bag at the store and Mm -hmm. that's, that's our food system. And so, yeah, this whole like awakening, that I went through with COVID and, and seeing the documentary and, and talking to different farmers, I it, like there's no there's no going back now. I know too much, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah. So I'll just keep trekking out to the Fraser Valley and getting as much food as I have orders for to bring back here and and trying to educate. Like, okay, you keep saying it's expensive, but it's also expensive to be sick at some point. Totally. Um, and you know, you you we've banned plastic bags up here. It's, it's ridiculous. So we have to, now it's 25 cents if I want a plastic bag from the grocery store. Um, but everything comes in plastic. And so it's just, yeah. it's just so stupid. And I think that was my tagline for the, all of COVID was like, this is just so stupid. There's so many stupid things <laughs> that go yes. on that just make you scratch your head and like, how, why is this the way it is? And so that's why I've been like, well, I, I don't want to support this industry anymore. Um, you know, buying as, as locally as possible, eating as in season as possible, knowing the people represented on my plate is such a gift and, and just feels really good knowing that my whole dollar is going back to them. Cause I'm, I'm sure that it's, I think it's similar in the States where like the, the farmer gets, you know, between six and 14 cents on the dollar, uh, mm-hmm. back. Whereas when you buy locally, it's, you're getting, a lot more, um, if not the whole dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to, um, I want to encourage you because 
you, while I feel like we just painted a really grim idea of Canada, (laughs) I don't want that to be the theme of the show. Like we have many friends in Canada. We love it. But if you are in Canada and you're feeling like, man, I do feel like it is hard to live in the real food movement here. Like Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see comments on all my posts, like wish we had this in Canada Mm -hmm. and I feel for you. So one, you know, I'm not dogging on your country. It's a gorgeous country and you know, I'm sure we have our perks. Yeah. You have your perks Mm. for sure. Um, but the reality is there are many things that are different and harder. For us, it's broken up so state by state. So it gives us a little bit more freedom mm-hmm. to say, hey, we, we want these particular homeschooling rights or rights to our food. We can just move state. We don't have to completely uproot country. Mm-hmm. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, within your province, it might be a little bit more flexible, but it's just a different landscape. Mm-hmm. But for you specifically, Dana, it's like you saw – the need for your own family Mm -hmm. and you were like i'm driving my car an hour and a half one way Mm -hmm. to go pick up this stuff i wonder if there are other people who would benefit Mm -hmm. from this kind of produce Mm -hmm. this real produce this beautifully regenerative raised food and then you stepped into the space and the same thing happened um when homegrown first launched everyone was like oh, we're all going to go homeschool and we're all going to teach our kids about real food and we're all going to buy this curriculum. Mm. And I agree that as things started to feel less panicky in the outside world, people slowly are shifting sometimes back into their older rhythms. Mm -hmm. And it definitely changes your perception of kind of the movement when you're in it and you're like, okay, well, I, I started out to serve a community and was very supported in the beginning. And now I'm getting like my first test in business. You know what I mean? I feel like that's kind of what you're walking through right now. Mm -hmm. And I relate to that. I really, really do. Um, and so I just want to encourage you that like you are fighting the good fight and I've seen your produce boxes from Dan's, um, local harvest mm-hmm. and it's just stunning you yeah. know and I love when you do your little recipes of like there's this new vegetable or this new variety I've never even cooked with it but like here we go mm-hmm. um, people need to see that people need to see everyday folks cooking real food yeah. making the extra effort and yeah there might it might ebb and flow mm-hmm. but it is so important and like you said with the land I think once that infrastructure goes away it's very hard to bring it back. Mm-hmm. So keep on like fighting the good fight in that regard because you're holding on to some space of you're you're connecting these people that would be two hours away from this farm, mm-hmm. couldn't have access to their food, mm-hmm. but because of you, mm-hmm. you're bringing it closer to them. So I just think that's super cool. Let's drop a pin, let's drop a pin in the Valley to Shore farm. What do, what do we call it? Valley to Shore her thing is called Valley to Shore, mm-hmm. but local harvest is the farm. Yeah. Got it. Let's let's drop a pin in Valley to Shore and talk about some of the the mission there. I think I've got a pretty good grip on it as it stands. Mm-hmm. But I just want to give Dana a platform to kind of talk about what she's been doing, what she's been working, because this has been taking up, I'm guessing, a significant portion of your time, uh, especially when it's in the on season, I'm guessing. And um, you know, kind of kind of where you see this thing going and how yeah. it's helping people today. I was afraid you'd ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, when I started, like I said, I, I just had my Prius and then um, 
max that out. And the week after I started was those horrific floods that the Fraser Valley had. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. So mm. anyway, I, I was like, that. whoa, welcome to entrepreneurship. I'm driving six hours round trip to get to the farm and back. Mm-hmm. Um, so made it through that. It like blocked off her road. Front. Yeah, the highway yeah. was literally underwater. So I had to go the back roads, um, overshoot the farm and then go back. Anyway, um, but that was a great year. That was a great start. And I was working with one farm with Just Local Harvest. And I could never imagine, because my friend had said, you know, maybe you should reach out to other people and offer other things. I was like, I can't even imagine doing anything more than just the harvest boxes. And and now um, I've partnered with a lot of other small businesses and farms. So it's just, it's really been amazing to to meet other people, like all of the people represented on these brands, like I try to convey to my audience how amazing these people are, how wonderful they are. Mm. So sweet, so generous, so committed to what they do under my little umbrella of Valley to Shore. Um, so now I have like ethically sourced coffee and locally roast, like they locally roast on site at their place in Chilliwack. And it's, it's the best coffee, Barking Irons. Um, I've got these amazing microgreens. I've got local honey. Um, you know, I bought uh garlic about this whole garlic crop from this this young guy he and his his girlfriend and a bunch of friends bought this 160 acre property up in rock creek um which is about five hours from me and they're doing this off-grid dream it's called the off-grid dream anyway they they grew garlic for the first time so they asked if i wanted to buy it this year so i did i've got all their stuff um got all kinds of things i've got sourdough starters (laughs) dehydrated sourdough starters Mm -hmm. Uh, Local Harvest has their own market now. Like they've been in business now for ten years, and um, you know it used to be a dairy farm, the the farm itself. And now over time, now they have soil that is amazing. But it wasn't always that way. Mm. They've worked really hard at it. And I remember way back uh, when my kids were little, stopping there, and they had a portable on in a gravel parking lot. And now they have got this beautiful market, paved parking lot. Um, Mm. and they have a bakery there. Their son runs the bakery. So they, so I also distribute sourdough bread that Dustin and his staff Mm. bake. Um, and then Andrew, now he's got his own setup, uh, at his own place. So I distribute his vermicompost and he also grows, um, he had some amazing tomatoes this year that I, um, bought and sold for people around here. So there's all kinds of things happening. I got bacon and jerky and I was doing mushrooms for Mm. a bit. So it's just trying to um, get as many, like I want to be more of a one-stop shop for people. Eggs, I have amazing eggs. They're on hiatus right now. So they weren't top of mind, but yeah, Vanessa with May Blooms, she has all kinds of different breeds of chicken. So every Mm. egg carton is a a rainbow. They're called the rainbow eggs. So you don't get those anywhere. So I feel really really blessed that she's, you know, entrusted me to, um, represent her on the North shore here and her eggs are just stunning and no chicken, those chickens that she has, they don't know how good they have it. They are the mm-hmm. luckiest chickens in the whole wide world. <laughs> uh, cause she just dotes on them and they've got access to pasture. They're out doing chicken things. And, and so the, the quality of these eggs is exceptional. Um, but all of that, you know, I go out every week. Isaac, my now he's 11. He just turned 11. He comes with me every week. We listen to our audio book. Um, but it's a long, it's a lot. And, you know, I've got three teenagers. 
Um, my one son, he's in grade 11. He's this this big sports guy. And we just hired a recruiter so that he can be seen by American schools. He might be coming out your way at some point. To He hasn't decided mm-hmm. if he's going to play football or baseball, but like things are getting hot and heavy with him and his potential scholarship career. I don't know. It's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I've got this 14-year-old daughter. Boys are easy. <laughs> but my girl, I'm like, oh, this is hard raising a girl. Sheesh and all the things mm-hmm. that uh, that girls go through um, with the comparison game and everything. And she's a great kid. And she came to – I was in Zambia this July on a missions trip. Um, and she came with me and that was really special. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to be doing Valley to Shore like I've always done it for this next year. So I'm trying to figure out – like I was – I felt like I was this close to closing on a retail mm-hmm. space. Um that's always been a dream of mine to have a brick and mortar. I know everyone oh, sort wow. of poo-poos the brick and mortar. Like it's so expensive. You got your overhead. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can build community when you're mm-hmm. stationary and you've got a, a foundation you can build from. And that's that's what my heart is to build community. And I think Valley to Shore does that to a certain degree. But um, And I think all of my customers would be really great friends if they could hang out a little bit. <laughs> that's really cool. So, yeah. Um, I I pass that place by, but there is possibly a potential that um, there's a gal a few doors down from where I was going to rent. She's going to rent a bigger space and she kind of wants to make it a bit of a cooperative. So she's asked me if I want to be in there. So I'm I'm still waiting to hear back from her if that's going to happen. That could be as early as January 1. So that could, that could be a thing for, you know, the harvest boxes slow down mid-January typically. Um, we've had a really mild winter so far. I feel like December is going to smack us upside the head any minute. Um, so we'll see what yeah. happens there. But uh, yeah, definitely there's like a hunger gap, Dan calls it. January, February, March, April, and then May, we started getting getting into the swing of things again. Um, mm. But I love to get into meat as well. Like I've met some mm. really fantastic ranchers doing things right. Cows are living their best life until their last day where they got one bad day and then they are providing delicious meals for us. So yeah, I love to do meat as well. There are minimum guidelines for distributing meat, um, which at this point I don't meet because it's, it's, again, it's stupid. <laughs> like I can go to Costco. The regulations. The regulations. Yeah. I can go to Costco and get frozen meat and I'm just putting it in my cart and bring it to my car and bring it home. But the minimum requirements for distributing a frozen food is you have to have a commercial sink and your if it is in your garage, mm-hmm. your garage needs to be detached. Mm-hmm. My garage is attached. I cannot detach it. And I don't I have a sink just down the hall. It's my bathroom sink. But anyway, they were like, nope, sorry. Case closed. Mm-hmm. So. so the current Day to day is collecting items from all different kinds of amazing producers, mm-hmm. and and kind of centralizing them. So mm-hmm. bringing them together for people that are in and around the Vancouver area is my current assumption. Yeah, specifically the correct? North Shore because like East Van, so like the North Shore is kind of like an island unto itself. There's we've got the Sea to Sky Highway that goes up to Whistler, and you could get out, or you can get take the Lionsgate Bridge over into downtown Vancouver, or you can take the Second Narrows Bridge. Um, but with density over the past couple of years on the North shore, it's a gong show trying to get around 
So like I don't, I gotcha. leave the North Shore as little as possible and I try not mm-hmm. to drive anywhere after about 2 p.m. There's just so much traffic. And I know it's not, oh. it's not like Seattle traffic, but for us, and there's always construction. So I'm like, I'm just oh not going to leave my house. The construction. Yeah. And so we're driving around the North Shore of Vancouver. Am I saying that right? Yeah. I leave the North Shore. And we're dropping off curated boxes. Now, are these things that people are selecting every single item? Is it kind of like a mystery box? Mm. Are you curating boxes for people? Do you have memberships? How, what, what does it How's look it like for somebody to sign up? Right. Or, or, um, or source their food through you? So, you know, my initial offering, the harvest box is like a CSA box, the community supported agriculture. So whatever's ready okay. at the farm, that's what they harvest. That's what they put in the box. You get about a, a dozen different things. So yeah, it's a mystery box. I don't uh, offer customization. Um, okay. You get what you get and you get recipes. I give yeah. you recipes the day after once I find out what's Amazing. in the box. Um to help you get going because the, the goal is, with the food is these are your raw ingredients. Um, you got good ingredients. You don't really need a whole lot of spices mm. or other cooking fancy techniques. You don't need to be a French chef to make this taste good. <laughs> the ingredients stand up by themselves. Um, so yeah, that's that's the harvest box. It's I leave around 10 a.m. and I get back here around 3. So it's a long day of driving. Um I try and get people to meet me at Local Harvest. It's a great central spot. So Vanessa meets me there for the eggs. Teresa, me- Teresa mm-hmm. meets me there for the coffee. Um, I'm doing tallow now as well. Um, one of the gals that works at Local Harvest, she has this amazing little business that she's making tallow and it's very good quality products. So I've got her tallow on board now. Um, yeah, so I, I drive out to take one for the team, go across the bridge because that's what people say. I don't want to cross the bridge. So mm. I go do the bridges and um, and then come back. And I have a, a meeting spot where people meet me from about 4.30 to 6 Got right it. now because the daylight's, daylight's disappearing. So um, like this past week, it was raining and it was dark by like 4.45. And there I am. I have no lights in my trailer. Every week I'm like, I got to get some lights. But I'm just mm-hmm. sitting here in the dark until somebody drives up. Um, and they so they meet me and just pick up. It's super basic right now. It's, I have okay. low overhead. I have my trailer, a six by 12 trailer. Um, you know, I was renting U-Hauls every week for the first year. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that enabled me to have a little bit of a nest egg. I bought a little five by 10 trailer and then things were picking up. And I was, I was worried that I was going to max out of that space. And so I sold that trailer and then bought this bigger one for less than I sold the other one for. So it was nice to be able to just slap down that cash. Totally. And, um, come away with a bigger trailer but unfortunately then the economic climate changed and I still have not packed out my bigger trailer but hmm. um and then my husband the other week he went on a hunt and took the forerunner so I rented a U-Haul truck and it was really nice actually to have a a truck rather than hauling a trailer around so then hmm. I got to thinking well maybe I should get a truck anyway that's also expensive <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. like almost two grand a month for a new one with a refrigeration oh Um, totally so that's that's big money and so yeah ideally in my perfect world i would love my own brick and mortar i'd love to have my daughter work the the till i think she'd be fantastic she's really good with people um Mm -hmm. maybe my son you know he's getting his his driver's license his n there's a whole system here i don't know if you have that too with creating your license all these steps and all this time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
anyway, April, he turned 17, which is nuts in itself. Um, but I'm like, maybe you can be a driver for me. You can offer delivery. Cause right now I don't offer delivery unless someone is like in dire straits and they just can't get to me, but I really want them to have the product. So in general, people meet me. Um, if not on Tuesday, then they can come up to the house or they come to the house on Wednesday. So yeah, that's how it works. I love it. So um, definitely want to get into talking about where people that may be near and around you can find you. Mm. But before I do that to kind of edge us closer to closing out this this discussion, would love to know if there's any topics we haven't discussed or talked about yet or things, Dana, that you were like, man, I'm really itching to to share or or, or or jump into this topic before we uh, before we head that direction. Yeah, I guess I just want to encourage people that it's worth it. Like, yes, it's it mm. can be a convenient to source locally. You know, you might have to travel, you know, a certain distance for one item, for just your meat or for just your eggs or whatever. But it's worth it. And I, what like makes me cringe and shudder inside is that our farms will not survive. And like the, the average age of a farmer around here, same as America is about 56, 57 years old. And then there's this mm. whole other issue of farm transfer tax that our government is, has imposed. doesn't make it easy for farmers to just pass on their land to their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's worth it for all of us as, as a cult, as a can, Canadians and Americans and wherever you are, it's worth it for you to support your local people. You're getting a far superior product to, um, an imported counterpart. Um, the nutritional density is there. Uh, you're keeping your money in your local economy. You're supporting your local, your neighbor, essentially. You're, you're being nourished by your neighbor. If you can't grow it yourself, and I encourage everyone to just have something going where you can, you know, pick it out of your own pot or your own garden bed. Um, start small, do what you can to make changes. You know, it can feel overwhelming of like, whoa, I want to. I want to source everything locally, but you know that's not a quick deal. You know, it's been five years of me starting with one thing with garlic, and now I've done basically everything. I go to the store for my dish soap and my cheese, and now my milk because I'm not in her chair. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bulk of our food is now farmer direct, and it happens over yeah. time, um, and it's sometimes inconvenient and sometimes more expensive. But we, mm-hmm. we spend our money there and then we, you know, I buy secondhand clothes or we just do without certain things and it's all good because the, the food that we eat, I think we just, we don't really value it like it should be. Like I've listened to so many of your mm-hmm. podcasts, Liz and, and Joey, where your guests talk about the value of food and what's going into our kids and how they're growing up and how it affects their um, emotional development, their you know, their mental development, their physical development, all of this is so, so important. And we don't put the emphasis that it deserves. Um, and you guys are doing such fantastic work in, in letting people tell their stories and getting the wheels turning in people's minds to be like, yeah, actually, it, maybe I should go to that farmer's market or maybe I should try growing and, and don't put yourself off. Like if you tried gardening and you sucked, Mm-hmm. welcome to the club. You're in good company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try again mm-hmm. and keep trying because something will stick and you'll be really amazing at growing whatever, lettuce or garlic. Mm-hmm. It's super easy. Get that in the ground now. I was thinking this morning, I'm like, shoot, we're getting frost. It's time. To, <laughs> it's garlic it's time. Garlic time <laughs> because 
I like, yes, I have my own, I have lots of farmers I can grow from, but when you grow it yourself, that's, that's also mm. excellent. And, and learning to procure your own protein, getting out there fishing, um, or hunting. And I'm going for my gun license mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, awesome. and then taking my hunting license in the new year. Um, super stoked about that. Uh, like you can see behind me, this rack, I can. um, that was maybe not so maybe purposefully put there <laughs> so you could see it could brag yeah. on my husband a little bit. Um, but yeah, having, having food closer to where you are, whether that if you get it or supporting your local farmers and, or both, um, we can't lose when we support each other, but then, you know, the worst thing would be if we're all dependent on Costco for the rest of our lives or Walmart to feed us mm-hmm. and have no control over what goes into our bodies and just taking whatever they give us. Um, and then, and then the whole issue of eating in season, you know, eating from your local microbiome, um, mm-hmm. those things that are in the soil now is, should be feeding me. I shouldn't necessarily be always eating you know, pineapples and guavas and things. Cause that's not my microbiome right now. It's not what my, yeah. my, mm-hmm. my body needs, you know, and just learning skills, learning even just, I've got, I've got sage, uh, on my wall. You just hang in sage. I'm going to de- I'm going to dehydrate that. Like it's not rocket science, this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, pressure canning for me is really intimidating. I haven't tried that yet, but we're all on it on the journey and just do what you can where you are, start small and it'll, slowly begin to snowball and before you know it you're going to look back at yourself five years ago and be like wow i've come a pretty long ways and i know where a lot of my food comes from whereas before i knew nothing um and i think yeah that's an outstanding word and the i just i I need you to hear from us because i'm over here just like soaking this in you're such an inspiration because of your just your resilience and your your ambition to make things better and for so many people out there, it's hard enough just to do what you're doing just for themselves. Yeah. And you're taking that even like 10 steps further and you're saying, man, my family needs these things and I'm going to do that for my family, but then I'm going to do it t- at times you know, 10 and bring that much more home for other people to also benefit from this. I'm trying to make it more accessible for people mm-hmm. around me. And so, man, take take a page out of Dana's book. And if you're in a, in an area where, you know, you've got you know, this, this time versus money complex, right. Or, or, or matrix, we've talked about it a million times. Mm-hmm. If you've got time or if you've got money one way or another, you can pull that lever. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a combination of the two, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's a little bit of each, a tiny bit of each. Maybe it's a microscopic bit of each, or maybe you've got a ton of each either way, mm-hmm. be able to wield that to make the world a better place for you and your family, a well more nourished place for you and your family, but then also those around you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. Not only is it inspire, inspiring to see how hard you're working, but also the care you have for your community. It's mm, it's really awesome. So thank you for that. Uh, Dana, yeah. where can people find you to continue being inspired themselves, but also potentially to link up with you if they're in the area. Yeah, if you're in the area. To <laughs> find and benefit from some of that convenience. Yeah, so I'm at uh, at Valley to Shore on Instagram. I'm on there a lot. I'm around all the time. I've got my website, valleytoshore.com, and I'm on Facebook at Valley to Shore. And then Dana Dykema um, is my like personal stuff where I share about more about the hunting thing. And um, I'm, I'm not quite sure, you know, where do you draw that line where 
this is who I am, but also like, you know, everybody came here for the veggies, but I'm more than just veggies. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and I might push your buttons a little yeah. bit with, uh, eating meat and how I get my meat and things like that. And, and then the homeschooling bit, uh, on my personal, cause that's the other thing is like, I want my kids to grow up differently than I did. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. my mom did what she needed to, and she asked for my help and I didn't really help her that much when I was a teenager in cooking. Um, whereas, you know, my 11 year old and my 15 year old, like you're Sophie, like they're so capable and it's so awesome to be mm-hmm. able to text my daughter and be like, I'm not going to be home. Can you start this? And they got it. And like watching them be more proficient in the kitchen and, and prioritizing making something, it's been a process because they got a bit of whiplash because it happened quickly for them with COVID where I was, you know, buying and feeding us one way and then boom, no, I'm not going to buy that packaged food anymore. No, we're not going to eat strawberries in January. We're, we're going to wait for June and it'll be worth it. I promise. And it always is. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's hard sometimes you want to eat, you see the 299 California strawberries and you're like, I just want them. And I, I I'm not going to judge you if you, I think it's okay. But, uh, on, on the whole, as a rule, I don't, I, um, although I don't, I do eat bananas. I do do that, but yeah. Um, I'm I'm around and I, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with Valley to shore. Like I'm moving about 30 boxes a week, which is great. And then all of the, the extras, you know, I'm, I'm getting bulk food from local harvest. I've got bulk apples and butternut from another farm and garlic from another place. So, um, mm. trying to be more of a one-stop shop for people. And, um, you know, if I, one day, if I have a brick and mortar, it'd be awesome to have the farmers come to the shop and do little workshops and, uh, you know, teach mm-hmm. and sip or whatever. And, um, so, cause that's another level, right. To have people actually know their farmers. It's great that I bring it to them. They know where it comes from, but for them to actually like shake your farmer's hand and know, mm-hmm. um, that's great, but it's not, that's not the norm on, in the cities. So I'd love for them to have a place to be able to do that someday. Yeah. Dana, uh, right on. That's awesome. I can't wait to come visit your shop. Personally, mm-hmm. I'm excited oh, about that. Be so fun. Lord willing, yeah. if that is in your plan, that is something that happens. It sounds like I don't think I've met another person that would be better suited to make that happen. So uh, keep keep rolling. Yeah. Uh, definitely go check Dana out on Instagram, her website, Valley to Shore, Valley to Shore all the things uh, on Instagram. Yeah. And um, oh my gosh, Dana, thank you so much for coming on and sharing just the 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 trials and tribulations you've been through the different kind of regulations that you've experienced and had to overcome in Canada and ultimately the way you're persevering through that yeah i appreciate that so much and appreciate you and i'm sure that we will be talking very very soon cool thank you guys thanks for having me on it was a pleasure and with that dana from valley to shore up in vancouver has left the virtual chat mm-hmm. man getting it. Love talking to Dana. Loved hearing all the different challenges that she's overcome and the things that she's doing. Essentially, she told us about all the problems and things that she's dealing with in Canada and like how she's working her butt off to try to make it easier for herself and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah, that's really cool. Being a problem solver is rare these days. It is. And uh, that's exactly how I see her. Yeah, really cool to have her on. Um, Super cool. I, I mean, I feel like there's some synergies in what she's attempting to do and succeeding to do and it's into what we're attempting to do Mm -hmm. and somewhat 
Yeah, we're like on the why and the how, and she's like on the what. Yeah. You know, we're telling you why and maybe how to think about food and source food, and she's like, here's the food, you know? I love it. So, the yeah, I I think I think it is hard when society, you're, you're, those around you kind of have a, a collective energy mm-hmm. about their importance of food. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that wanes and sometimes that's peak and sometimes, and when you are a business that is, you know, trying to support your local farmers. Yeah. that's hard. It's a it seasonal is. thing. Uh, yeah, but I love it. I loved our conversation. I love Canada just for the record. I, but I also hope that those in Canada feel validated by some of the pain yeah. points. I think it was good to talk about some of those up. challenges and what they're dealing with and how we can kind of work to kind of figure it out. Yeah. And I personally love Canada. I'm going there soon. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. They've got great hunting there. So we didn't talk about that, but it's definitely a reality. Yeah. Anyhow. Hey, if you've been listening to this channel for a while, you probably know what we're going to talk about. But if you haven't, we have some things going on that you can get into to support us, support the channel, and support yourself. We've got shoptheh.com. This is an online retail store where we sell goods and things that are you can have in your house that are kind of pre-vetted, mm-hmm. good, well thought through, properly sourced products that are free of the bad stuff. Fragrances, plastics, you know, toxins, those sorts of things. Yeah. Get yourself some dish soap. Get yourself some body soap. All made from lard, tallow, these sorts of things. All on hazelmeyergoods.com, shoptheh.com. You can get on there and find that. We have awesome coffee, tea. Oh, my gosh. What else is on there? Uh, we have sourdough tools and natural sea sponges and... Mm-hmm. So we many just, more things even coming. We that, launched a holiday market. There's just a lot. Yeah, you, go, go I don't get need a to explain it. Go get a handcrafted people. mug. Just, you can go just on your own and you can see it. And if it resonates with you and you want to support the vendors that make this stuff, that's fantastic. Something we've been talking about a lot lately is also the importance of having education around health and wellness, having confidence, having the ability to encounter a situation or a problem and having the confidence to take it on yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to provide people. And one of the ways that we help equip people to do that is through nutrition curriculum that we have for your kids and for you. And you can go find that at homegrowneducation.org. We have some free curriculum on there for adults. Okay. Curriculum is probably a bad way, but guides around raw dairy and sourdough to help you get in the game Mm -hmm. in those topics. Additionally, we have nutrition curriculum for your kids to get them in the game. We've got meal plans. Just stop what you're doing. Go to homegrowneducation.org and get some curriculum for you to get in the real food game, to be more confident, to be more capable to solve these sorts of things yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you like hearing from us, you can find us on Instagram. In addition to this podcast, which we, you'll find us here too every Wednesday. I'm at Joey Hazelmeyer. Elizabeth or Liz is at Liz Hazelmeyer. And we have a channel at homegrown underscore education. And until next time, that's a wrap.